1: Welcome back to my Two Cents Podcast, episode 48, which is entitled Told Ya. Now, before I get into the topics today, let me get off the National Food Days of the Week. Today, November 14th, is Homemade Guac Day, also Pickle Appreciation Day. Tomorrow is Clean Out Your Refrigerator Day. November 16th, Fast Food Day. November 17th, Baklava Day, also as Homemade Bread Day. November 18th. Apple Cider Day, November 19th, Macchiato Day, and November 20th, Peanut Butter Fudge Day. Now, the reason why I said that this episode was entitled Told You" is because last week I asked the question, and it was the title of the episode, who do we want? And I based it off of the uh, cases between the Kyle Rittenhouse case and the Mar Arbery case, and I told you guys specifically that We have both of these cases going on at the exact same time and that only one of these cases was going to end up in the in the audience's favor, meaning which one of these cases is going to get a guilty verdict. Both of these cases are not going to get a guilty verdict. And I asked the question, which one do we want? Now, at least this week, it seems like we know which one's going to end up with a not guilty, or at least a slap on the wrist, and it seems like it's going to be the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And I say that because I want to read something to you. And this comes from Rolling Stone, and its title is Kyle Rittenhouse Trial Judge asks Jury to Applaud Defense Witness. And as it reads, After a chaotic day in court on Wednesday, the judge at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial encouraged the courtroom, including the jury, to applaud for a defense witness because he was a veteran. As the article goes on, Judge Bruce Schroeder has a reputation for being sympathetic to the defense in cases before him. Attorneys who appeared before him told the Washington Post. Schroeder has been criticized for some of his decisions in the Rittenhouse case, including his choice to block prosecutors from referring to the people Rittenhouse killed as victims. Schroeder said victims was a loaded term and suggested rooters, looters, or arsonists instead as long as the defense could provide evidence justifying the use of those words. In the latest incident, Schroeder on Thursday asked the crowd gathered in the courtroom to identify themselves if they were a veteran because it was Veterans Day. I just want to observe that it's Veterans Day and ask any vets in the room. On the jury or anywhere else, Schroeder asked. When the court responded with silence, Schroeder said, Well, that's unusual not to have at least somebody in here. But Dr. Black is what branch? Schroeder was referring to the next witness to be called by Renthouse's defense team, John Black, who was a use of force expert. Black, who was about to take the stand, responded to Schroeder that he served in the army. Okay, I think we can give him a round of applause to the people who have served our country, the judge said, referring to Black, who was the only one to come forward. People in the courtroom applauded Black, including the judge, members of the jury joined in the applause, as well as Michael Trem of the Associated Press reported. Once Black took the stand, Rittenhouse's defense attorney asked him to recite some of the details in his army service. Black said he served for 30 years and advance. ...to the rank of Sergeant Major before his retirement. After another questionable decision by Schroeder in the case was related to his handling of video evidence presented to the jury, the jury was forced to view a video of the protest scene in miniature and not a larger size because of Rittenhouse's defense lawyer claimed, without evidence, that zooming in on a photo displayed on an Apple device, distorts the footage using artificial intelligence, and they put that in quotations. Schroeder brought that argument. Well, Schroeder bought that argument and then gave the prosecution only 20 minutes to find an expert to refute it, which they did not produce. 20 minutes to refute something and to find an expert on something is not a lot of time, so this already tells you which way we're leaning to. Just want to throw that out there to you. Schroeder also berated the lead prosecutor Assistant District Attorney Thomas Binger reportedly on Wednesday. That same day, we learned that he appears to use a patriotic anthem played by former President Trump at rallies on his mobile ringtone. See, this is what I'm saying right here. And it continues on and it says, Later in the trial on Wednesday, Schroeder made another outlandish offhand remark when declaring what time the court would break for lunch. I hope the Asian food isn't coming isn't on one of those boats in Long Beach Harbor. Apparently, that's like an Asian, uh, not even saying joke, but like a stereotype. Anyway, the trial does reach its, its final days this coming Monday where the they expect the arguments will conclude and the jury deliberates to begin early next week, basically Monday. And this just shows you right here. It stated right there clearly in the Rolling Stones article that in cases like this, the judge leans and he favors the defense. and right now the defense in this case is Kyle Rittenhouse. And that is a problem. That's a problem that you mean to tell me you only gave the prosecution 20 minutes to find somebody that could refute a claim with no evidence to back it up about how you couldn't about how you can zoom in on a video, but it will distort the video because of artificial intelligence. See, that's a problem right there. It's a problem all the way. This this whole thing should have got a new judge. The prosecution should have asked that the judge need to be rescheduled or the judge should have been taken off the bench or however. And it might be looking like you as a complete uh, dickhead or it looks like the judge's favoritism towards the defense in which it's already been proven that he does this. So this was already... Um, levied up and teed up for the defense to get it either a mistrial or get off with lesser charges. And to further prove my case, and what I meant by lesser charges, here's something from Newsweek uh, that they published. Judge tells Rittenhouse he's raising conviction risk as jury also weighs lesser charges. And as it goes on to read, the Associated Press reported that Judge Bruce Schroeder said he would issue his final rulings on which lesser charges he would allow on Saturday. Schroeder addressed Rittenhouse directly without the jury present towards the end of the day on Friday. The Associated Press reported that he told the teenager by having the lesser charges included, you're you're raising the risk of conviction, although you're avoiding the possibility that the jury will end up compromising on the more serious crime, and you're also decreasing the risk that you'll end up with a second trial because the jury is unable to agree. Closing arguments for the trial will take place on Monday, after which the 12 jurors will decide Rittenhouse's fate. See, this is what I'm saying. The judge is already telling the dude, hey, yo, and he says us without the jury being inside the room. I'm going to increase the risk, and also I'm going to choose which lesser trials you can lesser charges you can basically agree to accepting. See, that's a problem right there. I don't like that at all. How can a judge say, Ayo, I'm going to throw this out to you and you can say that you will take this because if you don't take these things, guess what? The jury can decide on a much more serious thing and if they all come together on this, you can basically be found guilty. That's a problem to me. As a bystander, as a guy that's just watching the case, which I have to watch like highlights of it because I am in school, um, it's ridiculous to me. You as a judge, you are literally supposed to be the mediator man. You're supposed to be in the middle. You're not supposed to be favoritizing anybody. You're supposed to just be the guy in the middle. I'm here to hear everything out. And basically, I'm here to say, Ayo, that's un, um, that's not right that this is happening. You know, you can't say that. Or I overrule or I let this thing go. That's all a judge is supposed to do. It's basically a referee. If a referee sees something wrong, he calls a flag on the play or he blows the whistle, whatever a ref does, to even out the playing field for both competitors. And that's basically what a courtroom is. A judge wants to basically be the referee and that's it. And then whenever the juries come back with either their verdict, he reads off or he has a jury read off what it is, and then he decides, okay... The maximum this and that, or we're going to give you some other type of time off of everything that he's heard and after everything that he decides of, okay, this is just or not just. For Kyle Rittenhouse's situation, this is a complete problem and a complete tragedy and travesty. Me, personally, I don't care for it. I knew last week we were only going to get one of them, being a you know guilty or not guilty situation. I knew this off rip. Whenever you got both trials going on at the exact same time, I knew one or the other. So this is not a shock to me. It's just a shock to me that they are publishing. Hey yo, the judge is he usually favoritize the defense in these matters. If the public knows this, and if the court knows this, meaning the lawyer that's supposed to be doing his job in front of this judge, how is he able to say, yo, this is fair? How is he able to say, yo, I want to do this and try to at least switch it up on him and say, hey, I can make him believe what I'm saying? No, if it's been proven by other lawyers that this judge right here favoritizes defense uh, cases in these type of uh, cases, how how do you do your job without feeling that you're about to get screwed? How do you do your job feeling and knowing that you're about to get screwed and, one, saying that, hey, I at least tried my damnedest? No, you didn't. You know you didn't because you know what? It's just like, okay, I'll take this for example. We see UFC fighters. Here's a prominent one. There was a a UFC event, UFC 200, um, in 2016, okay? And on that card was Brock Lesnar going against Mark Hunt. Brock Lesnar comes in there, jacked, and he dominates wrestling with Mark Hunt, right? Later we come to find out that Brock Lesnar got tested and his test came up positive, meaning that he they found something in his uh um sample that was illegal to the fight and basically gave him an advantage on Mark Hunt. So that is an unfair advantage. Now, that is Mark Hunt not knowing the fight. Well, not knowing that Brock had an advantage at that fight. But, now that he knows, he tried to sue the UFC because UFC got the test and they knew about it and they still let Brock do what he do. Mark Hunt didn't know. He went to the slaughterhouse right there against a fighter that... Had an advantage over him in Mark Hunt's personal opinion. Me, I'm not an odd thing on fighter. I don't know what it is, what type of advantage. It could have just been Brock taking some type of pill that could have just basically drained the uh fats out of him, so he can appear to lean, and that's illegal to the fighting rules. I don't know what it is, but it is still against the rules of the UFC at that particular time. Same thing with um John Jones. A couple years. I believe if not a couple of years, basically a year after that, John Jones got popped for something, a small picogram, and they changed literally the venue from the USC fight from one area to another area, literally two days in advance, just so John Jones could fight, even with that small picogram. And John Jones ends up winning the fight. The fighter that went against John Jones knew about this and he still went on with the fight. See that's a problem right there. I'm just equivalent in this courtroom to that situation, saying that you know that this judge is going to favoritize the defense. You know that you're basically outnumbered in this situation. How are you able and okay with this happening? You could have petitioned for the judge to get removed. You could have petitioned uh, to say, yo, this guy ain't right, or talk to another judge to basically try to get him to outweigh this judge. Something of the matter. I don't know how to... Prosecution was able to say, okay, cool, we're we're still going to do this. I wouldn't have. It's unfair at the most. So we all know what's going to happen. Kyle Rittenhouse is probably going to agree to a lesser charge. And if anything else, he's probably going to get slapped on the wrist. Hey, that's just what it is. We all knew that something was going to happen of this magnitude. At least I did. What I didn't expect this week, ladies and gentlemen, in this trial was that Kyle Rittenhouse couldn't cry to save his life. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can google the photo of Kyle Rittenhouse crying or you can go on to YouTube and type in Kyle Rittenhouse testimony and you can see the faces that he well the face that he made and he made like a legit ugly duckling face I mean my man couldn't cry for worth a fart to save his life do you understand and he and it made me think when I saw that how in God's green could you not cry at least to pretend cry to save your life? He tried to fake cry. And people might say, Joe, that was a legit cry. And if you were to hear how he cried, and I'm not going to play you it because this sounds so distorted on a video, especially on an audio thing. It sounds so distorted that you would think, like, is he trying to cough? Is he trying to catch himself? What What is it? That is not a crying, sobbing type of ordeal that he he had. It wasn't. That was legit, him trying to cough up something, him trying to catch a sneeze, a sniffle, whatever. And even at one point, as he's pretending to cry, or as he is crying, and I'm making with all quotes on my fingers right now, you see him at one moment look over to the judge, so the judge can actually look at him as he's doing this. So, my man couldn't cry to save his life. I would at least thought he'd talk to somebody in the jailhouse and tell him, okay, show me your crying face. Nope, you can't, you can't do that. Okay, okay. Um, Pinch yourself before you go over there or do something underneath the table or whatever the case may is, so you can cry. My man couldn't cry to save his life. You had people, comedians, joking on this kid for not being able to cry. You had athletes saying this guy couldn't cry. I mean, you even had regular people like me saying, yo, this was a fake cry at its finest. My man couldn't cry to save his life. And even at one point, his. is whimpering and sobbing got so bad, he started coughing all over the mic, and I said, that's disgusting. We're still living in COVID times, ladies and gentlemen, and people still wear face masks and everything, and this kid's up there without a face mask, and he's trying to cry, and he can't to save his life, and he's starting now to cough all over the mic. That's nasty and disgusting. They should change that mic out so bad. So, again, that's one thing I couldn't just, like, wrap my head around. Him not being able to cry he looked like a kid that's trying to cry after he'd done something wrong and that he just can't muster it out. And then you hear the parents say, See, boy, stop that fake crying. Stop it. You couldn't even muster a tear down your face. That was Kyle Rittenhouse in this situation. But to end this all off right here, you know what it is. You know what time it is. Kyle Rittenhouse is either going to be A, slap with a sl- lesser charge, and he's going to accept it, or either B, if he goes with this, he more likely will be found not guilty, don't be upset about it because you know what the deal is. This thing was already set against the prosecution already at the first level with the judge starting off. And we all knew, well, at least not us, but the people inside the government, the lawyers knew that he, this judge does um, lean over towards the defense more than anything else in cases of this magnitude. So don't be uh don't be shocked if we find out that he takes a lesser charge and it'll probably be like a slap on the wrist or something. Just want to throw it out there. Now to the Omar Arbery trial. And I want to read you this from uh, NBC News. Man accused and killing of Omar Arbery did not mention citizen's arrest at scene. Former officer testifies. And as it reads, the first police officer on the scene of Omar Arbery's killing testified Monday that one of the three white men on trial on charges of murder and other crimes, never told him they were trying to make a citizen's arrest of Ahmaud Arbery, testimony that appeared to undercut a key element of the defense case. Ricky Mansu, who was a Galvin County Georgia police uh, patrol officer when Arbery was killed February 23rd, 2020, testified that when he arrived on the scene, he spoke with William Rhodey Bryan, who told Ricky that he blocked corner and cut off Arbery in the neighborhood just outside the port city of Brunswick. Brian's neighbors, Gregory McMichaels and Travis McMichael, his son, who were also standing trial, armed themselves and used Travis's pickup truck to pursue Arbery after they spotted him running in their neighborhood. Brian joined the chase and recorded a cell phone video of Travis McMichael shooting Arbery in the street three times at close range. Asked by the prosecution whether Brian ever told him he was trying to make a citizen's arrest of Arbery, as defense attorneys have claimed, Mansu responded, no, ma'am. Mansu said Brian never mentioned that he joined the chase to try to arrest Arbery for looting, burglary, attempted burglary, aggravated assault, or any other crime, and that Brian never told him he saw Arbery with the weapon. Mansu said Brian ne- Brian did not tell him he had ever told Arbery that he was under arrest for anything as he pursued him. who said Brian told him at one point, "Should I have chased? Should I have been chasing him? I don't know." Attorneys for McMichael's have said Travis McMichael's acted in self-defense when Aubrey threw punches and tried to grab his gun. Defense attorneys have said the men were justified to chase and try to detain Aubrey because he had been recorded by security cameras inside a nearby home under construction and they were suspecting he was a burglar. Another article reads from this come from Oxygen. Officer testifies that George McMichaels, called Ahmaud Arbery an a-hole, made no mention of citizen's arrest. As Ahmaud Arbery lay dead in the middle of the street in a pool of his own blood, George McMichael, a white man now charged with murder, referred to the slain 25-year-old black man as an a-hole, according to testimony Tuesday. Glen County Police Officer Jeffrey Brandon Barry, who was one of the first officers to arrive on the scene, recounted his conversation with George, just minutes after George's son Travis McMichael shot Arbery as he ran down the road. Fox News reports, "This ain't no scuffler. Hold on, this ain't no shuffler." George said, according to a transcript of Brandon Barry's body cam, body camera read in court, "This guy's an a-hole. He was hooked up when he came." around that street. George McMichael, Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Bryan, who drove in another vehicle and filmed the daily encounter are all charged with murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment in connection with Arbery's death. They pleaded not guilty. Brandon Berry testifies that George told him shortly after the shooting that he saw Arbery running down the street and believed he was responsible for a series of break-ins in the neighborhood George said he called to his son and they got their own weapons before jumping in their pickup and pursuing Aubrey as he ran down the street because he wasn't sure if Aubrey was armed, USA Today reports. I don't take any chances, George said at the time, according to the transcript. When asked later whether Aubrey had in fact been armed, George said he didn't know. Brandenberry testifies that George's left hand had been Covered in the man's blood because he had tried to check Arbery for a weapon after he fell face first into the street, prosecutors said. At the time of his death, Arbery, an avid runner, was unarmed and had no personal possessions on him. Surveillance footage played the jury played to the jury showed Arbery wandering through a home under construction before the deadly shooting, but it doesn't look like he touched or took anything from the property. George initially told. Brandon Berry that Arbery had been caught on cameras breaking in all of these houses out here, and that's why the father and son had tried to stop him that afternoon as they chased him from their pickup truck, CBS News reports. Well, he makes frequent trips to the neighborhoods and gets caught on video cameras every third or fourth night breaking into places, and no one's been able to catch him, he said, according to the transcript of the conversation. Yet when George later spoke with Glenn County Detective Parker... Marcy at the police headquarters, he said Arbery had been suspected of breaking into just one home, the home that was under construction. Marcy testified that George told him he had recognized Arbery that day after seeing two or three videos of him breaking into or wandering around this home. George's defense attorney, Franklin Hogue, pointed out that during the discussion, George had mentioned there that were numerous enterings, autos, and break-ins into the neighborhood before the fatal shooting, Logic tells you this guy must be the one that's doing it, George said in an interview, according to a transcript read in the court. He also said that one of his guns had been stolen from his vehicle at some point before the shooting, leaving him to believe it was possibly Arbery was armed, USA Today reports. You guys can kind of get where they're going with this. They're trying to make Arbery seem like he was a thief. He was a threatening guy. He was all these types of things. And I mean... Listen here, that was not the case at all. You know this. If this man was truly armed and dangerous, you wouldn't know. You would at least see him whip out the gun. You would see him do all these types of things. Why would Arbery want to run around the exact same exact location where all these burglaries that he quote unquote did? Nobody that is smart will be around the exact same homes that they already cased and hit up. If anything, they will try to find another neighborhood in another home that they will be trying to seek out and take their stuff. It doesn't make sense to come back to the exact same neighborhood that you already cased the joint and took their stuff. It doesn't make sense. So their whole defense is, yo, know, he was uh, a guy that looked like the guy that was taking people's stuff. Okay, cool. I can look like a guy that looks like a guy, but I'm not the guy. And what happens is you guys shot a person that happened not to be the guy. And you guys are now facing some actual heinous things. You killed a man. I want this to be understood. The son and the father and the bystander who was on a video camera, you guys killed a man. How can you guys justify that in your soul and in your spirit that you killed him? Now, if he were to slap you in your faces and punch you and all this type of stuff beforehand and all this type of crap like days before, and you want to get some retaliation, then that's another thing. Because if you hit somebody, you can't tell somebody how to react. Let me make that perfectly clear. But this man did nothing to you. He was in his, he was in a home that was being under construction, minding his own business. And you guys just happened to run up on him. That's a problem to me. See, that's not right in any place of business or anything at all. Because you guys are now on trial for killing this man. You guys are trying to make up any excuse. Hey, we got to victimize. We got to make ourselves as the victims and him as a bad guy in which you can't do that. You can't. There's no way to justify it. There's no way. There's nothing that can. There's no evidence that you guys have literally displayed out here to say he was a bad guy. Yes, your gun went missing, quote unquote, and you thought it was him. There were break-ins. You said that he was on cameras three to four times a night, breaking into other people's homes. And then when you get into a police department, he, well, he was in that home. And da-da-da-da-da. What, what do you mean? See, you're tripping over yourself, so you're not making your thing any good. You're not making your case any great for you. And if anything, we're more than likely going to get the Michaels and their third guy over here going off into, like, getting found guilty which i'm personally cool with but there was a little thing that happened wednesday well technically thursday because thursday william bryant's lawyers got up and told the judge that he didn't want any more black pastors to be in the courtroom as this trial was going down and just so you can hear it and i want you guys to hear this clip And this is good. This is coming from the Hills uh, YouTube channel. I just want you guys to hear the audio from this. So without further ado, here's the audio of Brian's uh, attorney saying that he doesn't want any more black pastors inside the courtroom.
0: My understanding while I was cross-examining investigator Lowry yesterday is that the right reverend Al Sharpton managed to find his way into the back of the courtroom. I'm guessing he was somehow there at the invitation of the victim's family in this case. And I have nothing personally against Mr. Sharpton. My concern is that it's one thing for the family to be present. It's another thing to ask for the lawyers to be present. But if we're going to start a precedent starting yesterday, we're going to bring high-profile members of the African-American community into the courtroom to sit with the family during the trial in the presence of the jury. I believe that's intimidating, and it's an attempt to pressure. Could be, consciously or unconsciously, an attempt to, to pressure or influence the jury. To my knowledge, Reverend Al Sharpton has no church in Glen County, never has. Hasn't been here since Elaine Brown ran for mayor, to my knowledge. But we have all kinds of people. We have school board members. We have county commissioners. We have all kinds of pastors in this town, over 100. Uh, and uh, the idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously there's only so many pastors they can have. And if that, their pastors Al Sharpton right now, that's fine, but then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here or other, Jesse Jackson, whoever was in, was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family, trying to influence a jury in this case. And I'm not saying the state is even aware that Mr. Sharpton was in the courtroom. I certainly wasn't aware of it till last night. But I think the court can understand my concern uh, about bringing people in who really don't have any ties to this case other than political interests. And we want to keep politics out of this case. So I'm asking the court to take appropriate steps to make sure that the gallery, which is already limited in this case, isn't being utilized for a purpose that could be viewed as improper. Now, as
1: you heard, the lawyer basically said that he didn't want any black pastors basically trying to intimidate the witnesses. And here's my problem with this. If Reverend Al Sharpton or any famous notorious black pastor wanted to intimidate the witness, don't you think they would have sat in the front to do that? No, Reverend Al Sharpton was in the back in the corner. And even the lawyer himself said that he didn't notice Reverend Al Sharpton was even there until he was told at night that Reverend Al Sharpton was there. So he made up this whole thing and he even said, I don't even think Anybody else paid attention to it. So why are you bringing this motion up now? You usually bring up something like this as if somebody's in the front uh, room of the court and actually being all up in the jury's face to say, Hey, Al Sharpton's here. Or, Hey, uh, Ben Crump is here. Or, Hey, Jesse Jackson is here. Or, Hey, Oprah's here. That could sway your judgment. Yeah, cool, they're in the front, but my man was in the back wasn't causing no issue. He was just there to sit there and watch as this whole court thing was going down. And the clip that I didn't allow you guys to hear was the audio of the judge basically saying the exact same thing I'm saying right now. The judge went on saying, listen, I didn't know about this until uh, somebody in my chambers asked me a day before about Al Sharpton coming in and I said that, okay, cool, as long as there's no uh, outburst or disruption in the courtroom. And there was no outburst or disruption in the courtroom. And to my knowledge, From what you, from what each lawyer in this courtroom is telling me right now, and that I heard, none of you knew that he was actually in the courtroom. And if you did, he didn't pay you like no attention. So the judge basically granted that, yo, this motion is stupid that you're trying to throw out right now. And we're not going to even partake in this whole ideology of you saying that no more black pastors to to accompany this family. The only thing the judge was basically saying that, hey, yo, as long as there's no disruption in my courtroom, they can come in as much as they want. So the next day, the attorney actually apologizes, and this is coming from NBC News.
0: My apologies standing with who might have inadvertently benefited.
1: In court, defense attorney Kevin Goff trying
2: to walk back his comment from the previous day after being made aware that the Reverend Al Sharpton, who hosts a show on MSNBC, was in court sitting with Ahmaud Aubrey's family.
0: We don't want any more black pastors coming in here.
2: Goff saying the pastors would be trying to influence the jury. And in this racially charged case that Aubrey's family calls a modern-day lynching, being heard by 11 white and one black juror, Goff's comment ignited outrage. The lawyer admitted himself, he didn't know till later that I was even there. We caught up with Aubrey's mother outside court.
1: Apology accepted, but a whole lot of things he shouldn't have said, out. I
2: mean, it was, it, was, it was very rude. The uproar happening as testimony focuses on the neighborhood where Aubrey was shot and killed, and where he had been seen by a home security camera at a residence under construction in the weeks before the fatal encounter. Prosecutors trying to convince the jury Aubrey did nothing wrong, questioning a police investigator.
1: I've never seen him with anything in his hands coming or going from the property on the videos that I have seen.
2: Lawyers for defendant Greg McMichael, his son Travis, and neighbor William Bryan portray Aubrey as a suspicious figure who the men had reason to think had committed a crime. Meanwhile, outside the court, a defense attorney who rarely talks to the media tried to calm the outrage about his colleague's comment about black pastors. Uh, That statement was totally asinine, ridiculous. In no way do we want to exclude anybody from this process. Uh, Everyone is welcome. Come one, come all. Activists supporting Aubrey's family say they've invited 100 black pastors to come to the courthouse next week.
1: It was reported also in that video that the lawyer did was going to file the motion Friday so that no 100 black pastors could join into the court on Monday, which we all know, if you have common sense, 100 black pastors are not going to be there. If anything, they're probably outside the courtroom because this lawyer did make an asinine comment and he did make an ass out of himself with that comment. But the judge is not going to allow 100 black pastors in there. This will be the legit rule for him of saying... Previously, this will cause disruption, and it would probably favor and lean favor in the courtroom. But again, the lawyer made a complete ass out of himself, so, hey, he eats. He got to eat crow for this. So, my thing is this. You cannot complain. As a lawyer, I understand your job is just trying to find any sneaky, underhanded way to get your client out, whether it be a technicality or it would be something that... um Hey, this is something back in 1940, something that doesn't even apply to today's time. We still, use this, we still use rulings of 1940 all the way to 2021 now, when 1940 was a completely different age of era for them, and it is different for us. and We still go back to that. In 1941, in the trial of blah, 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 the judge found... did And somehow we make it correlate to what our case is now. See... I understand that's what lawyers do, and I understand that. But, yo, dog, you shouldn't have complained about no black pastors or black uh, leaders just sitting down with a Martin family. That family needs comfort right now. They have to sit there in court and watch three guys that, without a shadow of a doubt, is on video be there for the death of their son, the death of their brother, or the death of their family member. They have to be in there and watch this unfold. And then, even still, right now, with it being a legit eleven jurors being white and only one juror being black, they know in the back of their mind, probably some of them in the front of their mind, this thing might not go our way because this jury is not of our peers because if it was truly of our peers, you would at least get a good portion of it being a black or minority uh jury panel except it's not. See, that is what your peers are. That's what they mean when they mean you're going to be judged by a panel of your peers. People that look like you, people that think like you, people that are of you. That's what your peers are. When you're in high school and you are in a grade, guess what? Those are your peers. You guys go through the exact same thing. You guys are experiencing the exact same schooling in that school system. That's your peers. When you go into a court... Uh, Not court, but when you go into an office, those are your co-workers. You wonder why you say co-workers? Because guess what? You are working with each other. You guys are doing almost the exact same job, different levels of it, but you're all working for the exact same person. You guys are co-workers. In this courtroom, there's no such thing as... In a courtroom, there's no such thing as your peers because guess what? There's different age brackets. There's different races. There's different... Everything across the board when it hits a jury. So, in this... Case alone, 11 whites and one black, this was never ever the case of this courtroom was going to be a legit uh, trial that's going to be judged by Ahmaud peers. It didn't happen, and it's not happening, so suck it up, deal with black uh, leaders, black religious pastors or religious figures being there to just be that strong extra uh, support system for the amardarberry family, my guy. Don't be a dickhead. Stop it. Now to my next topic, and this comes from NBC News. As the topic reads, Black Ohio police officer whose white chief put KKK note on his coat breaks his silence. On Thursday, Sheffield Lake police officer Keith Poole came forward to detail the incident in June that resulted in his former boss's ouster and to other encounters that described as demoning. The video obtained over the summer by NBC affiliate WKYC of Cleveland captured the then police officer, police chief, Anthony Campo, standing at the department's copier and placing the Klan printout on the coat. The KKK began as a secretive society organized in the South. I think we all know this. Uh, Poole said in an interview this week that when, his, that when he returned to his desk, Campo told other officers, all of whom were white, to come see the sign. It was not funny to them, said Poole, who's 57. They walked away from it. But Campo didn't stop there, according to Poole and his attorneys, who announced legal action on Thursday. Poole alleged that Campo had fashioned a KKK-style hat out of paper and told him he had to wear it on his next call. It was so demeaning. It was so disrespectful to me, he said. Poole had planned to report the incident, which he knew had been recorded on office surveillance video, but a union representative beat him to it. He said that he was the first black officer to work at the agency, which has... About 14 officers, and that he had been reportedly targeted, no, repeatedly targeted by Campo in his less than a year at the department. There was no African Americans applying there, Poole said. The first incident happened before he even started working there last year. Instead of sending Poole a picture of his new patrol car, Campo sent him a photo of a vehicle on 20 inch rims with tinted windows, Poole said. It said Officer Poole, S-R-O, said Poole, who has been a police officer for 19 years and was previously a school resource officer. He added, it threw me. What is he talking about? What is this? Even so, Poole joined the department. Around Halloween, he said Campo targeted him. Again, pinning a photo of the Grim Reaper on the bulletin board, Poole's face was inserted into the picture, which read, underneath the raccoon reaper. I don't understand that either, he said. Poole alleged that after a second black officer joined the department, the two were sitting in a patrol car when Campo approached them with yet another tinted window remark. It looked like y'all's windows are tinted. Poole quoted Campo as saying the windows are open. Poole added that Campo had an obsession with pulling over drivers with tinted windows. The practice has been criticized as a way to unfairly target people for driving while black. Campo has had a history of discriminating against other people in the office based on their gender, sexual orientation, and race, said Ashley Chase, one of Poole's attorneys. Poole's legal team filed a discrimination charge with the Ohio, City, the, whole, the Ohio Civil Rights Commission, an initial step in preparation to file a lawsuit. Attorneys also filed a petition with the state Supreme Court to compile the police department to provide rec- records they say will demonstrate a pattern of race-based harassment involving Campo. A lot of people knew about him, Poole said. Nothing was done. Efforts to reach Campo for comment in July and this week were unsuccessful. See, that kind of brings me up to something right now, ladies and gentlemen. You got to go where you're appreciated, not tolerated. See, I understand that he got Campo out of there. Which Campo and people like Campo need to be out of this type of job? Because, again, the idea, and I have to say this, is the idea, not the reality, the idea. Of a police officer and what they are supposed to do is that they're supposed to protect and serve members of a community in which by me members of the community everybody in the community doesn't matter if you're rich poor black white asian chinese mexican hispanic whatever the case is police officers are supposed to protect and serve the people that they are uh thrown to in a certain location right Now, in my idea for this whole police department, this is Ohio, okay? Joe Keen Noah said it best. Who wants to go to Ohio? No, no, no. He said, who wants to go to Cleveland even better? Think about it. Cleveland is not the black center of America. If anything, I don't even think a whole lot of black people are in Cleveland. I mean, LeBron James came out of Cleveland, but other than that, What other black person came out of Cleveland? What other Hispanic? What other Asian? What other Middle Easterner? What other person of ethnicity except a white individual came out of Cleveland? I'm not trying to crap on people from Cleveland. Let's not get it twisted here. But, uh, no. So, let me start that off right there. So, Campo, he got out of here. Great. Great. He got out of here because a black officer was about to say something, but a union representative grabbed the tape and did it themselves. That's great and damn. I want to talk to black officers for a minute. If you happen to listen to me here, and if you happen to know a black officer, I just want you guys to ask them the question: Why did they ever join the police force? And before they joined the police force, did they ever tally up how many black individuals or other people that were not not white individuals inside that police department? Because there's a rule of thumb here. I want you guys to think about this. As I am in going my last year, about to be out of college, God willing. Ever since I started, and this really hit me probably about middle school, because that's whenever I start really thinking for myself. Before I was able to like really, really like tell my parents no to a lot of things. I was able to start looking around my classroom to notice. Okay, who is like me? a.k.a. who is black or who is white. I start tallying up numbers. And I start tallying up, okay, who's a black individual, white individual, black girl, white girl, etc. And it's usually the blacks always were outnumbered, by the way, because I went to a white-dominated high school, middle school, elementary, and even a college today, because I still do that in my college classrooms. I look around and I start counting off, all right, who's black, who's white, who's another ethnicity. And usually. 10 out of 10 times, there's more black, there's more whites than blacks or any other uh, ethnicity in that classroom. So, whenever you are going, even going for a job, I believe that if you're a person of color, you're going to count off, all right, how many people are like me or how many people are or another person of color and how many people are white. I believe that people do that. If you don't, I want you to start doing that. And I'm not saying that, oh my God, you're making this whole white versus black. Listen here. We are in America. Sometimes it it bees like that. And I'm not trying to just like say, oh, my God, race, race, race. Hey, it bees like that sometimes. You just got to be aware of these things. This black cop, he knew this. These were white officers around here. He was the first black officer. He knew this. So I wonder, and it said what made him really want to join this police officer like division, this police department. Why would he do it? If there was no black officer before him and he's the, technically the first black officer to join this police department. I would like to know that. I'm not putting no blame on him. I just would like to know that myself what made him want to become a police officer in that department when there has been never been any police officer that was black. It just it just intrigues me. Because I understand why somebody would want to become the first black president or the uh first uh Asian president, Hispanic president, because presidencies, the the term president, carries so much weight. A police officer, eh, it has some power, but why would you want to go into a police department that nobody looks like you? I understand you probably might say, well Gerald, you want to set an example for other children or other people that are like him that are in this small town. Yeah, cool. Fine and dad, but you gotta do that with another person in there. You just can't go into this place by yourself. Because when you try to do something by yourself, guess what? You're going to have all types of garbage thrown and pelted at you that you don't know who you can talk to about this. Nobody else is around there looking that looks like you. Nobody. Yeah, sure, you might have an ally that will be able to comfort you in this time of need, in this time of misfortune. But truly, nobody's there that will understand your pain like that's unless there's somebody that looks like you, okay? So, ladies and gentlemen, if you can take anything away from this article and this topic here, I want you to start counting off people that looks like you in any type of place that you go into, whether it be a classroom, whether it be a work a space, whether it be a you just going out to recruit somebody. Start looking around your surroundings and see, okay, who's like me and who doesn't look like me. And you start to understand and think crucially. This is crucial thinking, or critical thinking, as they will like to call it. Why is that? Why is this the case? Why is this look like this? Alright? So, again, I want to applaud this police officer for getting Campo out of here. I want to applaud uh, the police department for doing their job for getting Campo out of here. I just want you guys just to really just look at... Uh, your surroundings, and just think, okay, why is this like this? I want to go on to another topic here, and this is from uh, ABC7, and the title reads, Mother of missing New Jersey teen found in New York City, arrested, accused of physical abuse and neglect. As a reason, the mother of Josiah uh, Moore, the 14-year-old girl who went missing, from her home in New Jersey, nearly a month ago, was arrested the day after the teen was found safe in New York City. Jamie Moore, 39, faces child endangerment charges and authorities have accused the mother of physical abuse and neglect. Josiah and the teen's three-year-old brother have been removed from their mother's custody and an investigation is underway. Before her disappearance, Josiah Moore was last seen at a deli near her home in in East Orange, New Jersey, on the morning of October 14th. Nearly a month later, police located the 14-year-old girl in New York's Harlem neighborhood Thursday after a bystander recognized her and notified the police. Josiah Moore spent the past month and a half in several New Jersey locations before ending up living in a Brooklyn shelter, Essex County uh, Prosecutor Theodore Steffens said Friday. Steffens said the teen had cut her hair and did not want to return to home. It appears she was a runaway. It appears she was more comfortable where she was, he said. During the search for Josiah, her mother denied that she had run away from home and claimed that her daughter was abducted. Exit County increased the reward for information on Josiah's whereabouts to $20,000 earlier this week, but stephen said it had not yet been claimed. This reminds us that the lives of little black and little brown girls is just as important as everybody else's lives, Stefan said last week, and we all know that Gabby Petito, which is a very, very notorious case that was constantly in the news, did yield results and information. So we are hoping that today's efforts will also bring some information so we can find young Josiah. While the cases of missing white women have been given more focus and urgency. People of color are disappearing at disproportionate rates. Black people make up 35% of the missing persons report, but only 13% of the U.S. population, according to 2020 FBI data. Meanwhile, white people make up 54% of missing persons report and 76% of the U.S. population. That was just some more uh, knowledge that you needed to know at the end of that article. But I want to ask a question about something. We know the woman, we know the mother got uh, arrested, and now she's facing charges of uh, child neglect and abuse and all this, and neglect, and endangering. Sorry, I forgot to mention endangering. And they arrested her off the accounts of the 14-year-old girl. Now, usually, whenever cases like this happen, we usually would get some type of report inside of the news articles of... News reporters saying, okay, there, there have been so many times police officers have went over to this family's homes. There's been like X amount of times that they has been called upon for child services or whatever the case may be. As you heard me read in this article, there was not a once glimpse about saying that child protection services has been called on this woman. Not a once. So it makes me question, what did she do to make her 14-year-old daughter run away? And why did a 14-year-old daughter run away? Was it truly neglect? Was it truly abuse? What what was it? I want to know, because I understand it's still new and more uh, information are uh, bound to come out, but usually whenever you find somebody, right, and you have them and they made a new dramatic uh, appearance because she cut off her hair, would you, and I understand it's been a month and a half Got. To, I just want to know, cigarette burns, do they go away? Do they, uh, like, cuts, do they go away? There needs to be some type of sign to show that she was actually, the mother neglected and abused the daughter before we could actually arrest the mother. Now, I'm not saying the mother didn't do it. I don't know if they did or did. But reports have came out that, you know, the only thing that they did was arrest her off of the knowledge of the 14-year-old girl. So it makes me really just question, okay, what else are they not telling us for them to like, just, like, arrest the mother? Because I would at least thought there needs to be some type of signs. There should have been some type of um, photos going out to the press. There should have been some type of da-da-da-da-da. Like, like I just want to know because if we're going off of that, yo, a lot of kids can run away now and say, yo, my parents were abusing me. And then we'll get parents get locked up and everything in which I am not advocating at all for the mother, because I don't know the mother, I don't know the daughter. I'm just going off of my own head thinking, okay, she left the home, the mother was on television, saying the girl must have been abducted, she wasn't a runaway. Was the mother hiding something? Probably. Maybe. Who knows? I don't. I just want to know, has there been some type of report saying that, yo, we had child social services come into this house X amount of times? Uh, there's been a scarring on the three-year-old boy. Something of the case. Something needs to have been thrown out here. Because if not, you're making me, as a person, that's just a thinker and a, a guy that likes to observe things. It makes me question, okay, you arrested her on the telltales of a 14-year-old girl. And I don't mean to say just that, because people might say, Gerald, your are sexist now. Now it was a boy. I would say the same thing. A 14-year-old boy. Let me make this simple. if a child happens to run away from home, there needs to be some type of report from the news uh, reporters doing their job and saying oh, there's been amount of time X amount of times this child services services have been contacted to the mother's home and this shows a pattern of like disruption in the home or this parent wasn't that good of a parent. something of the case because when you don't have that, it makes a critical thinker like myself think, okay, What really happened? Because I want to not really think about this type of thing, because this is harmful to even think about a little 14-year-old out of lying, or even a mother really being negligent of their child. But when you don't have those type of reports, it makes me think, okay, what's the real deal? Was there something that people aren't really telling to the public? What There's something there that needs to be said, but only time will find out, and yeah, On to my next topic, and this is coming from um, CNBC.com, as it reads, Scott Fairlamp gets longest sentence yet in Trump Capitol riot cases, and the feds are seeking even more for the QAnon shaman. As it reads, "A a federal judge Wednesday sentenced former mixed martial artist Scott Fairlam of New Jersey to 41 months in prison for assaulting a police officer during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol for supporters of former President Donald Trump. Fairlam's sentence is the longest prison term to date for any of the hundreds of people criminally charged in connection with the riot, which disrupted the confirmation by Congress of the Electoral College vote uh, victory of President Joe Biden and left five people dead but federal prosecutors on Tuesday night said they were they want an even longer prison term, 51 months for the most notorious face of the January 6th riot, so-called QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley. The tattooed Chansley, who pleaded guilty in September to obstructing a proceeding of Congress, wore face paint, fur hat, and touted a spear when he strolled through the Senate chamber and other areas of the Capitol complex his actions struck at the roots of our democracy prosecutors wrote in their sentencing uh, memorandum. Chancing is sentenced well is scheduled to be sentenced on November 17th in US District Court in Washington by the same judge Royce Lambert who sentenced Fairlamb a 44-year-old former gym owner who lives in Stockholm New Jersey. Listen here 41 months 51 months how on God's green are we okay with that? Literally, those terms are not that long for you to be a partaker in this riot, in this insurrection, in this act of terrorism. And I don't care what anybody says. This was an act of terrorism. You could not tell me that if it would have been any other minority, this would have been labeled as terrorism or gang activity or whatever the hell you want to pronounce it as, that's exactly what it would have been. And for 41 months, this literally being the longest out of everybody that has been sentenced. And 41 months, during quick math for me, that's three years and what? Five months. Three years and five months that this man's going to be in jail. More than likely, he's going to be reduced down more because good behavior, because literally, when you're inside jail, Only thing you got to do is behave and act right and actually condone yourself as a proper human being. And then guess what? When you go up and somebody's going to talk to the committee board, they're going to say, this man has been acting as a uh, great human being. He should be up for parole earlier. So his time will be cut short. Now for the shaman. They're trying to look for 51 months. My dog, come on. Come on. That's only four years and three months. This was a legit riot. How are we okay with this? The members that were a part of this, they need to be in jail. You guys need to be in jail longer than this. Because, again, if it was any other minority, it would have been a problem. And they're going to say, well, they were doing the bidding of Donald Trump. They were trying to get out of here. Get the F out. Okay? And... I don't understand how we are all okay with this. Certain of us don't know about this because it's not publicized that much in the news because right now, everything in the news is being dominated by the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And even the Ahmaud Arbery trial isn't getting that much coverage like that in the trial. So, this just shocks me. It, it shocks me how much stupidity it is out here. In the news coverage, in the news media, we should be covering important topics. I understand it's Black Friday. I understand we're like literally one more week away until Thanksgiving. I understand that because I love Thanksgiving. That's my favorite holiday of them all. But when you got news like this that is should be covered, how are we not paying attention to that? I understand people want Black Friday deals. Yeah, cool. Do that literally like in the middle of the news program and then go back to hard-hitting news. Get to it. Because the Ordinary people, day-to-day people that actually live like a civilian, that play the legit rules that have been laid out upon us, we need to know about these things so we can govern ourselves accordingly, so we can teach children, yo, this isn't what you're supposed to do. We can teach teenagers, this isn't what you're supposed to do. Hell, we can even teach each other as adults. If you see an adult about to go down the wrong path, you could pull them by their neck and show them this and say, nah, this will end up, this will be you if you end up doing this. This is what Blacks, this is what Hispanics, this is what uh, Middle Easterners, and right even now, I believe even the Asian community are now starting to grab their children or their loved ones by the neck and going to show them this type of thing and say, Ayo, this type of thing can happen to you, but even worser if this happens to you, and the only reason why it's not worse to them is because they're white. You understand what I mean? So, I'm just trying to figure out how the news is not paying attention and really Focusing and honing in on this and really saying, yo, this isn't right because this was an insurrection. I understand their job is to just govern you the news, but when you see something like this for 41 months and then 51 months, get out of here. You could piss on that. They need to be in jail longer than that. They were part of something huge. They were part of people beating up officers that were just trying to do their job. They were beating up, they were trying to get to people that were voted into a high position of power that were doing something, they were doing their jobs in their own chamber, in their actual, uh, this big chamber room, and they were trying to just bust in and try to take certain people out. How are we okay with this? I, I don't see how we as a society are okay with this, not being governed more upon the news, not being reported upon more on the news. This should be legit. Big outrage out here instead of being outraged over stupid things that we see every day on the internet but again that's just my i that's just my two cents on that opinion on that topic right there I want to before I get you guys out of here let me just lead you off with some good news all right and this comes from the Washington Post as it reads North Carolina man pardoned after spending twenty four years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Dante Sharp had just finished discussing potential avenues with his legal team for getting pardoned for a murder he did not commit when he received a call from one of his attorneys. Sharp, who was black, was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the murder of a white man in Greenville, North Carolina in 1994. Sharp, who maintained his innocence, was wrongfully imprisoned for 24 years until he was exonerated in 2019 when a judge found that a key witness in the case had entirely made up her testimony. Then on Friday, Teresa A. Newman, one of Sharp's attorneys, greeted her client with the news he's been waiting to hear since his uh, exoneration. Teresa called him and said, hey, Mr. Pardon Man. I was like, what do you mean, Mr. Pardon Man? Sharp told the Washington Post she said the governor just pardoned you that just left me smiling on my couch in a kind of a awestruck. Governor of North Carolina Roy Cooper announced Sharp's pardon after he carefully reviewed a case that has been championed by criminal justice advocate, advocates for years. Mr. Sharp and others who have been wrongfully convicted deserve to have that injustice fully and publicly acknowledged. Cooper said in a news release. The governor pardon allows Sharp 46 of Charlotte to seek as much as $750,000 in compensation from the state for his wrongful conviction, Newman said. No one is saying or can't say he was released on a technicality, Newman said. The technicality is that he was innocent. See, this is my deal. I'm glad the man's out. Congratulations. 24 years by God. That's literally somebody's whole entire life throughout elementary school all the way to high school, even through college, and even some couple years after that. This man has been in jail for something that he did not do, and even they even said that a witness's whole entire testimony was made up. See, this tells you the type of mm, disgustingness that human beings can do. We can legitimately lie on somebody and have them be go away for a long period of time. That's why I want to go and tie that back into the black woman that's being arrested for abuse or neglect. Hey, I need to be told some type of article or something about Child uh, Protective Services saying, yo, we've been to the house this X amount of times. That's what I'm saying. There needs to be some type of legitimate evidence, concrete, to arrest her, all right? Now, getting back to this, I'm just happy this black man's out of jail for something that he did not even do, all right? $750,000, that's not a lot of money for 24 years. Can you understand that? 24 years of your life, that's 365 days a year, but on leap years, that's 366. I'm not doing the math right now, but you can guess that's a lot of days that this man had to sit inside the exact same jail cell, and he missed birthdays, graduations, funerals, anniversaries with his loved one, if he had a loved one. I'm just saying, God bless. This man missed a lot of time that he will never get back because time is the one thing in our lives that we can never get back. Money, we can always lose it and gain it back and multiply it as many times as we want. Homes, the same thing. But time, ladies and gentlemen, Time, boys and girls, is something that we can never get back. Yesterday is yesterday. You can't gain that day back. Last year, 2020, we can't gain those 365 days back. Today is only a short day because guess what? Tomorrow will come at you quickly within the blink of an eye. Time is something that we cannot play around with. So, if you have loved ones in your lives that you have not spoken to, give them a call. Say, hey, what's up? I've been thinking about you. Or, hey, time is short. Let's bury the hatchet. Something of that magnitude. Because, by God, time is something that you cannot get back. So, this man has been in jail for 24 years. He got exonerated on 2019. It took a whole full two years for the man to even get out, even getting exonerated. Which, I don't understand that. But, hey. He's out of jail now. That's the part that we all should be championing. Thank God that he is out. I hope that this man gets the money that he is rightfully earned to him, and some more. And I'm hoping that he's actually getting to able to find his loved ones and enjoy the time that he has with his loved ones now that he's out in this uh, environment. For the love of God, bro, this is oh my God that that that's that's a uh, that's. That's heart that's heartwarming. That is that's less legit heartwarming. Another thing that is heartwarming to me is that Odell Beckham Jr and also Cam Newton both men have found their homes. Odell Beckham Jr has agreed to uh, a contract with the Los Angeles Rams for a year. The same thing with Cam Newton. Cam Newton got signed right back to the Carolina Panthers for this the remaining of this year. Say they would Beckham Odell Beckham Jr. For the remaining of this year, both men will be on their respective teams. And um they're now back to being and working in NFL. I'm happy for that. Obell just got, I believe he got cut or he got yeah, he got cut from Cleveland Browns earlier, like earlier this week or late last week. And he just got picked up by the Rams uh Thursday. Cam Newton, he just got Picked up by the um, Panthers, I believe. Yep, Tuesday night, because I'm reading about it on CBS uh, Sports.com. Tuesday night, he got the call, so he got back. I'm happy that both of these men are back at work, back doing something that they love. Cam Newton, by God, he got, he got almost blackballed because he didn't want to take the vaccine, but when he did take the vaccine, he actually gave up the fight to not take the vaccine. Guess what? He still didn't get a job until, ta-da, the Carolina Panthers uh, quarterback got injured. So, guess what? They had to give a call up to Cam Newton. So, I mean, God works in mysterious ways, all right? And I wish the quarterback a lot of recovery. I'm just saying, God works in ways, bro. He's still going to get paid, but he's just going to have to be um recovering and just sitting out while Cam does his thing on the football field. I'm happy about that. So, let that be a takeaway from you guys, too, right there. God works in mysterious ways. Don't think that one door shut, another one won't be open. Another door always opens up. And don't always be on the hunt and search for something. No. It's okay to take a step back, take a breather, and just say, you know what? It will all fall into play. Everything will fall where it's supposed to fall. And just breathe in and just accept the inevitable when it comes and lands into your... uh. Lay it to your lap and just take the ball and run with it. And one more thing before I get you guys out of here. I want to talk about Silk Sonic's album. Silk Sonic's album came out Friday. And I have been talking about Silk Sonic's album. Well, I talked about it last week. Because they just released a song Smoking Out the Window last week. And that song was blazing. And I took away from this album that one Silk Sonic album is good. It's good all the way through. Skate's even good. Skate's even grew up on me, so I would suggest you go and listen to that album, for one. Two, Silk Sonic. If a representative of yours is listening to me right now, or something happened, you happen to get this clip somehow, some way. I want to ask you guys one question, one question only. Why did you guys decide to put it out in December, well, the holiday of November, December, instead of in the summer? All these songs that played were summer-based. This album should have came out mid-June, early July, so people could be bumping it outside in shorts, tank tops, and just do what they want to do, move and groove, because this Silk Sonic album is an adult contemporary album. It's more of, hey... I'm fly, you're fly, let's kick it together, let's do some adult activities. Smoking out the window, hey, my girl was cheating on me, she now belongs to the streets. I mean, there's so many, well, the song, well, technically, the album's like, what, 30-some-odd minutes long, so it's a short album, but this album is a summer-based album. It is not a winter-based album that you stay inside the... Uh, stay inside your home and listen to. No, 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 this is a going out, I want to hear this out, I want to hear this while I'm playing in my car with the top down, with the windows down, bumping it through, probably pick up a chick, or if you pick up whatever sexual orientation that you uh enjoy, and just listen to this album with that person while you're on the nightclub scene. This is that type of deal, and I say that because summer people were out here. People were out here with their mask on, with their out their mask on. People were getting it in. So I'm just saying the only crucial thing, the only thing I'm critiquing that I would change out of this whole Silk Sonic thing is I would have had this album come out in the middle of June, early July. So people in the summertime could enjoy this album. But the album is good. Go listen to the album if you can. If you don't listen to the album, just listen to the hits Listen to skate, listen to Smoking out the window, listen to keep the door open. Trust me with those 3, you'll be perfectly fine. But again, Silk Sonic did their thing. I'm happy that they finally released it even though by god it took them straight up 8 months to get a, get it to us. But Silk Sonic did what they were supposed to do. Now with that, let me give you guys my social media links so you can uh, follow me on all these uh social media sites. On Twitter, on my podcast, you can find me at, at @my2podcast. On Instagram, my two cents podcast G2 for email for if you want to email me about anything, whether you're depressed, suicidal, uh, you can't figure out who you want to talk to about a certain thing because you don't want to bury it onto your family, friends or your loved ones. Hey, you can email me. My email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. And I promise you anything that we talk about will always stay between me and you and you can find me also on wisdom my name is gerald garrett in parentheses g2 i talk about anything and everything this week i talked about privilege have it have a listen um you can find this uh audio adventure on youtube if you type in my two cents podcast i have a youtube page there it's not video of you seeing me it's just audio and um i believe that's all my social media links oh yeah for past and future uh, episode You can find them and listen to them on Podbeat, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I want to thank all these companies for still allowing a guy like me to use my mouth to say what I want to say. And you guys actually listen to it. And I have gotten some comments about um what I've said on this thing. So, and there's been nobody saying nothing like wrong or reckless to me. They've just been like encouraging me. So I'm pretty happy what I've been what I've been doing. And, um yeah I want you guys to have a great Sunday I want you guys to have a great week always remember I love you I love you I love you I love you I
2: love you I love you you.
1: let's go into this week uh energize let's kill this week because remember we only got one more week until Thanksgiving and also you can check out my Saturday episode where I talk about wrestling highlights of the week and also remember to uh, I will be doing a review on AEW's full gear pay-per-view that happened last night. You'll be able to listen to it tomorrow morning on Monday. So with that, uh, this has been My Two Cents Podcast presented by G2. I am G2. He is I, I am him. I love you all. And just remember to keep it easy. And there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. We just got to keep pushing. And there's this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from this sweet sounding voice. So without being said... Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus I- wept.